So let's open with a word of prayer, and we're going to dig into the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. As we go to your Word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We know that the words of man are a waste of time, but the Word of God transforms lives. Lord, I pray for anybody here and doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. I pray for anybody here that's new today that they would feel welcomed and loved. Well, when we have you in common, we have everything in common. Lord, be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Quick review. So as we've been talking about, the Apostle Paul had a short amount of time in Thessalonica. This is probably the first letter that he ever wrote, even though it's not chronologically that way in the Bible. And he writes this letter, and he spent three weeks in this church. A lot of people got saved, and as my dad would say, they got saved real good. They didn't just pray a prayer and walk an aisle, but they started living sold out for the Lord. But in the midst of all that, they started facing great opposition. And word came back to the Apostle Paul that they were, they were suffering in the midst of it, but they were standing for the Lord as they suffered for him. And what a great chapter, what a great book for us to be reading. We just go verse by verse right through the Bible. If you knew the Calvary Chapel, we started in Matthew on Sunday mornings. We started in Genesis on Thursday nights. And we just go right through the Bible because nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. We don't skip over the hard stuff. We teach it all. Amen? But it's by divine appointment with all that's going on in the world today. little chaos in the world right now. A little bit of division in our country. There's kind of some stuff going on. And even as Christians, sometimes we're, we might be afraid to speak up because we're afraid that it'll come across wrong. Now, I want to say this. We should never be afraid to speak up, but we should always do it in love. Amen? And we need to be sensitive to what other people are going through. And we want to be salt and light to people that need the Lord. So Paul writes this letter back to the church in Thessalonica because he was only there for three weeks. He heard they were doing well, but his heart, he has a burden for them to encourage them of how to stand for the Lord in the midst of great opposition. This was a, a beach town of a couple hundred thousand people, and again, the church was very young, and they had not had a lot of pastoral oversight, but again, they had the, they had the Holy Spirit inside of them. They had what was of the Word of God up to that point, and so they were making a stand for the Lord. And so I titled this morning's message, you've got your outline, Standing Fast in the Midst of Suffering. Because the first three chapters, that we did, in chapter one, he told them that the Lord's all you need. He told them, talked about the sufficiency in Christ, and Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Can I get an amen to that? And he was pointing them back to the Lord, because what was happening is a bunch of people were coming in and trying to add to the gospel, or people saying, well, yeah, and you've got to be circumcised. Plus, there was a bunch of other false doctrine floating around, so he pointed them back to the cross. What I love to tell people is when I'm witnessing to people or when I'm talking to anybody about the Lord, I just want to get it to Jesus. Can I get an amen? When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, you know, if Michael Jordan was on my basketball team, I'd only have one thought, get the ball to Jordan. Can I get an amen? Well, the reality is that's all I want to do is get people to Jesus because we can talk about secondary issues and there's some appropriate reason behind that. But guys, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. And his words do not return void. Now, ours can, but his don't. Amen? So as he's writing this letter to them, he reminds them that Jesus is the central focus. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He's sufficient. Then he continued to encourage them about just, he was blessed by their conduct. So he, he encourages them, saying, man, I thank God when I remember you. I'm thankful for the lives that you're living for the Lord. I want to encourage you that when I think of you, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you guys. 
Because you know what? I know that I know you probably better than other people in the room may know you because we have those conversations. I, I have your prayer requests, and I love you guys, and I know what you're going through, and I have a burden for you, and I have a passion to see your relationship with the Lord continue to grow, and I'm thankful to see how God's doing a work in your lives. So now as he comes to chapter 3, he's going to encourage them again. And I believe that these, these words are so for us today, so right on time. Though it was written for the church, in the, to the church in Thessalonica, it could have been written for us as well. So much of the exhortation that he gives him is appropriate for us. By the way, we don't know what persecution is, uh, but we may find out soon enough. Amen? So, if you have your outline, grab it. Let's go through it. I titled the message again, Standing Fast in the Midst of Suffering. First of all, by allowing others to stand with you. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. You've heard me say that many times. We need others to hold up our hands. You remember when Moses, God had Moses. By the way, this hand's getting a little higher, huh? But Moses, it's shoulder surgery. But Moses, uh, you know, when they were fighting against the Amalekites, the Lord told him, as long as your hands are in the air, you'll have victory. But if you remember, at some point, his hands grew weak, and then Aaron and Hur stood on each side and held his hands up for him. And holding up our hands is a mark of surrender, but it's also a a position of worship. And guys, as long as we keep, you know, worshiping the Lord, as long as we stay surrendered to him, God will give us victory over the Amalekites, a picture of the flesh. But guys, we can't do it on our own always. Can I get an amen to that? And one of the things that I'm seeing even now, isolation is one of Satan's greatest tools to discourage you and to cause you to doubt God's love for you. If you're by yourself, we have people right now that are still at home. Some have not left their houses since March. Wow. Man, God bless you guys. We miss you. And you know what? We'll come visit you if you don't mind, right? But, you know, we have people that are fearful, and I get it. And we're not, we're not, if you have fear right now, okay. But we'll pray for you. But here's the reality. Being isolated is never going to bring about God's will for your life. Amen? The Bible says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. You become like who you hang out with. So if you're only hanging out with you, you're in trouble. Can I get an amen? We need to be hanging out with godly people, right? And not hanging out with the world. So number one, in standing fast in the midst of suffering by allowing others to stand with you. Number two, by recognizing your suffering and trials as divine appointments, not divine punishment. Now, there are consequences to sin, and then there are trials. Those are two different things. Can I get an amen? If I go out and commit adultery and my family falls apart, that is consequence of sin. If I get cancer and, and to, know, to nothing, I, that's a trial. That's a difficulty. Can I get an amen to that? One's a consequence of sin, and one is a trial of life that God allowed to come into my life. But here's what we need to understand. It's not divine punishment, it's a divine appointment. Can I get an amen to that? Because see, guys, when we go through trials, it says in James, to counter all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. For trials produce patience in the perfecting of your faith. See, those divine appointments of going through difficulty open doors for the gospel, and it also molds us more into the image of our Savior. Guys, when we have to be desperate, when we're in a place where we can't fix it, you know, in Psalm 23, you've heard me use this illustration, you know, when you're, when you're lying down in green pastures, you can forget where the shepherd is. You're lying down in green pastures out in the sun. Where's the shepherd? He's around here somewhere. But when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're hanging on to the shepherd with both hands. Can I get an amen to that? And so we want to be closer to the Lord, but show me somebody used mightily in Scripture, and I'll show you somebody who suffered greatly in Scripture. Because those two things go together. And so if we want to grow, we can expect that we're going to have to join the fellowship of his suffering. But recognize the difficulty is 
punishment, unless it's consequence of sin. What it really is is a divine appointment, an opportunity for God to use you and for you to grow spiritually. Number three, knowing that as people see God's faithfulness in the midst of your suffering, many will be blessed, strengthened, and encouraged. You hear me say it. It's one of my things I say often. No suffering is wasted. I don't believe that we ever suffer and it's wasted. I believe God always will and can use it, first of all, in our lives, but also in the lives of others. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When we go through suffering, when we go through difficulty, when we go through trials, people are watching. It's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship to heaven, and it's another thing to trust God when you're in the midst of a trial. I wasn't going to share this, but I will. Got a call last night that my, one of my sons relapsed on, on drugs last night. And he's up in Santa Cruz, and we were, we were fearful that he might, we were worried about him living. But you know what? God's in control, amen? And, and you know what? We're praying for him, and he's home, and he's, and praise God. But you know, that's a, in the midst of that, what do I do? I can run to the world, I can run to the Lord, amen? And as much as I love my son, God loves him more, amen? And he's in God's hands, and we trust God. Though he, though he slay us, yet will we trust in him. And as Job said, I'm going to praise him not only in times of adversity but, and blessing, but also in times of adversity. If we only praise God when things are good, we're only praising God. He's that holy Santa Claus in the sky, and we only love him when he gives us what we want. But our God is faithful, and he's in control, and we're going to trust him. We trust his character. Can I get an amen to that? And the trials of life that we go through bring opportunities for the gospel and for God to be glorified. Amen? It's amazing. I've never drank drank alcohol, done drugs in my entire life, and had three sons that struggled with it, and I have a great opportunity now to minister to people that struggle with drugs. You know the number one cause of death of people under the age of 30 in America is drug overdose. And so it's a a pandemic. It's it's, It's worse than the coronavirus. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that it's something that's everywhere, but you know what? Our God is in control, and our God is faithful, and Jesus is the answer, amen? And so we're going to see that when people see God's faithfulness while you're suffering, that's an opportunity for the gospel. And then finally, knowing that through your suffering, you grow closer to the Lord and more focused on eternity. You know, the, the more difficulty we go through, the more desperate we are for God, and the more we have an eternal focus. You know, it's amazing when you go through a great trial, all of a sudden things that used to be important aren't that important anymore. Can I get an amen? That car you wanted to buy isn't that big a deal when you're worried about somebody living or dying. It's that thing that, that, that business that you work at isn't as important when you're, you're, you're fighting off cancer. Guys, when we have eternal things going on in our life, it takes our lives off the temporal and keeps us more humble and broken before God. It keeps us more desperate. It keeps our eyes on that which really matters the most. So let's begin there looking at standing fast in the midst of suffering. First of all, by allowing others to stand with you. Verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 3. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Paul could not get back to Thessalonica. And he was burdened to see how they were doing. And he was so burdened for them that he was willing to be left alone himself so that Timothy could go to Thessalonica and find out what's going on in the church and minister to them. See, when Paul writes his prison epistles, he doesn't really talk that much about being in prison. 
Because for him, what is the greatest burden is not him getting out of jail, but seeing other people saved. And as Christians, our focus should be far more focused on people getting saved than us being comfortable. Can I get an amen to that? But too often, we're, we're afraid to step out and be used by the Lord because we focus more on our comfort than God's glory, more on our comfort than seeing somebody else get saved. And we've got to get out of that comfort zone and step out in faith and be used by the Lord. And what Paul's saying here is, look, I hated to see Timothy go, and I hate to be left alone here in Athens, but you know what? I'm more burdened for you. And I wanted to find out what was happening with that church in Thessalonica. I wanted to find out how you guys were doing. You're a burden on my heart. Now when it says, therefore, you always, say, you always ask what? What's it there for? It's in light of the last three verses of chapter two. Let me read these to you. So he's saying, in light of what's happened back in chapter two, it says, but we, brethren, having been taken away for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavored more easily to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you again, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, did not think it was no longer, we could no longer endure it. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Paul and his companions longing for, loving, and burdened by concerns uh, for their current state, both physically and, and spiritually, but they were really concerned, again, about these precious people. You know, God did not call us to make converts, but to make disciples. Can I get an amen to that? I have a friend who calls traveling evangelists. He says, you know, they don't really finish the job. If somebody goes around, if you've got a heart to evangelize, that's great. I love, I love evangelistic outreaches, but we need to point people to churches. Can I get an amen to that? And there's few things that will break your heart more than leading someone to the Lord and then there's nobody to disciple them. Now they have the Holy Spirit and God can do it, but God chooses to use us. But the way I look at it is, is this way. Imagine if you gave birth, if Isaiah was born and then they put him in the nursery and said, hey, your diapers are over there, your formula's over there, hope it works out and you left. You'd be a horrible parent, we'd put you in jail. Can I get an amen? But we do it as Christians. We'll pray a prayer with somebody, and then we walk away, and we assume that we don't have any responsibility to continue to disciple those people. See, that's why Paul is so burdened. He saw all these people get saved, but now he's, he sees those people, and he cares about them. He loves them. He wants to know how they're doing spiritually. He knows they're facing opposition. He, know there's, he knows there's a lot of false teaching that's going on, and he's burdened for them. And that's why he sends Timothy back. Again, Paul is a pastor. He's an apostle, but he's a pastor. And with a pastor's heart, he wants to make disciples and not converts. Brokenhearted that they might have become seeds planted but choked off amongst the thorns. Right? You give your life to the Lord. I've seen people do this. They pray a prayer. You've seen the parable of the sower, right? And then, you know, the seed is planted, but then they start to grow, and then they get choked off by the world. And again, you know, if, if they're truly saved, God will continue to protect their relationship with him. But guys, we're called to be faithful, not just to pray a prayer with somebody, but to pour our lives into them. And that's exactly what Paul's doing. And he's a great example of that here. Paul was burdened that they be taught and established in the faith that no one would be lost due to a lack of being taught and ministered to. I love that Chris Hamilton's here today because in 1993 or four, I don't know, he probably remembers, uh, I, would, I was going to Russia every year. We went to Stupina, Russia, whatever year, it was 93 or 94, can't remember when. 
But what happened was, we were the first Americans into this little town in Russia. And we didn't know how we would be received. We had 10 youth with us and a couple of adults. And we went into the city. And when we got there, there were some people lining the street with American flags to welcome us. That shocked us. Then they brought us into their cultural palace in this little city, and they did this program for us. I, I think it lasted a, a few hours, and they were pouring gifts at our feet, and then the mayor came and gave me the key to the city. And he said, and we're like, we're in Russia, and, and this city's not on any maps because they used to build nuclear weapons there, and they didn't want anybody to know about it. So here we are in this little town, and he said, you can have the town. What do you want? I said, well, I just want access to everybody in the town because I want to tell them about Jesus. And he said, that would be wonderful. And I said, I can't do this in my country. And so we were going into schools every day and every school we would go to, they would bring the entire student body into the gym and we would share the gospel. And then he gave us the cultural palace at night so we could invite all those people back for a Bible study. And the Bible study just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and there was no church in the entire town. There was one young man who had been saved four months who was teaching a Bible study with four people in it. And we happened to be there on Easter Sunday. And this place is packed. And I'm telling this young man, you need to teach. He's like, four people, yes, hundreds, not so much. And it might have, I don't even remember how many people were there, but the place was packed to the rafters. And so we got up and we shared the gospel with them. And there was a, our interpreter, she was in her 70s. And she told me, Pastor, you are an answer to over 60 years of prayer. We've been praying that God would bring someone to our city to share the gospel, and you're an answer to that prayer. And so all these people were getting saved. People were responding to the gospel by the hundreds. But then our two weeks were over. We had to get on a bus and leave. And I remember that interpreter grabbing my hand with tears running down her face. She said, Pastor, you have to come back because somebody has to teach these people. And I remember going home, and I got off the plane, and I was in tears. I told my wife, I want to move to Russia. And we started trying to make it happen. She was pregnant with our youngest son, and there was, there was some roadblocks that they wouldn't let us come. We could go, but our kids couldn't. That wasn't going to work. And you know, to this day, I still pray for Stupina, because I have no idea. I, I went online last night to see if there's any churches there. And other than the Russian Orthodox Church, it doesn't look like it. So I understand, I just thought about, that's how Paul feels about these people. You go there, and when we left, there were people lining up as we left, waving at us with tears in their eyes, because they were hungry to know more, and there was nobody there to tell them. Now, we know the Holy Spirit is there, and we know that they had the Word of God, because we gave them Bibles in Russian. But you know what? I've never gone on another missions trip where we didn't either plant a church or support a church that was there, because guys, we want to make disciples. Can I get an amen? Well, that's where Paul is. He's burdened. How are they doing? He hears good words, but he sends Timothy because he has a heart for them. He wants to know how they're doing spiritually. Again, I'm a big believer in church planting, as you know. But it's a good lesson for Christian workers. The true calling and ministry usually is going to cost you something. Apostle Paul's heart was knit to them. And that's why I'm always concerned when someone can do a ministry and after a little while they can just blow off to another place i'm concerned if they were ever really called because guys we're not when we're called by god it's a get to not a have to can i get an amen and it's going to cost you something you're gonna have to get out of your comfort zone as we talked about before david said this i will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing those that are truly called will run through a brick wall to do what god's called them to do They'll do things that nobody else, when nobody sees it. We got people in our helps ministry here that do stuff you have no idea what they're doing, but they're doing it for the Lord and the Lord sees it and God bless them. Can I get an amen to that? And those who faithfully serve in areas where nobody sees it, 
God is glorified through that. And here, the Apostle Paul, again, he is burdened because how are they doing? His heart's torn because he wants to see what God is doing in their lives. He so loved them, again, like a parent would give of himself and his resources. And again, it says in 2 Corinthians 12, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And that was the Apostle Paul's heart. Again, so many today only want to serve if it costs them nothing. I'd like to serve at church, but it's got to fit into my schedule. I got these 50, I got bowling over here, and I got this over here, and I, you know, I got this, this show that I watch, and these are the 57 things in my life, and I, I think I got about a 15 minute every third Thursday of the month I could help out. And we do this thing where we want to squeeze God in. Let me tell you something. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Can I get an amen to that? Now, we need to work. A man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever, but my dad taught me at a young age. Every job I interviewed for, I would tell him right off the bat, I can't work Sundays. Not going to work for me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Now, look, if you have a job and you have to work Sundays, I get it. But pray that God will allow you to be in a place where you can be in fellowship because Jesus comes first. Amen? And so Paul's heart is to understand that, look, it costs us something to come to you, but you're worth it. And it's costing him something to send Timothy because that's his, his, you know, his traveling companion. He's going to be without his one closest friend in the Lord. And he's going to send him because he cares more about those people than he does his own comfort. It's been said that the number one stumbling block to Christian missions today is Christian parents. We love missions, but don't send my kids. Amen. Oh, oh so-and-so's Bayamba, we support them. I'm happy to write a check. Just don't have my kids move down there and help. When my daughter and my son-in-law, they didn't move to a faraway country, but my son-in-law pastors the Calvary Chapel in Colorado, and they, were felt, they felt called to move with, all my, with my grandkids to Colorado. And a lot of people in the family weren't happy, but I know they prayed, so all I could do was encourage them. And I remember when I left the airport, my daughter was in tears. She said, Dad, it's worth it, right? As a baby girl, it's always worth it to obey God. Can I get an amen to that? So guys, some of us, quit being comfortable. Start being bold for the Lord, amen? Start praying for divine appointments and opportunities to use your faith. Get out of that comfort zone. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And Paul's like, Timothy, go. I love you, bro, but you know what? They need you. Go, verse two. And sent Timothy, our brother, and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to encourage you concerning the faith. The word established there is where we get the word steroids. It means to stabilize, to place firmly, to set fast, to fix, to strengthen. He said, I'm going to send them to establish you and to encourage you in the faith. Isn't that what we're called to do? I know that's what I'm called to do as a pastor, is to, is to establish you, to help you grow in your faith with the Lord. You know my six-word philosophy of ministry. It's preach the word and love the people. Amen? People say, well, Pastor Dave, what's your thought? You have a 57-page thing. No, six words. Preach the word, love the people, amen? And here he is, he's got a burden for the people, and he's sending Timothy, and he says, I want him to build you up in your faith. How are we built up in faith? How does that happen? Word, prayer, and fellowship, amen? What's the theme verse of this church? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by? 
Our radio ministry is called Faith Comes by Hearing. By the way, we're on five radio stations. This little church supports it, heard by tens of thousands of people every week. God bless you guys. And we get calls from all over that, from Hawaii and Nevada, all these different places of people are getting, being blessed. And they say to thank, thank the people in your church for giving so we can be on the radio and minister the word of God to them. Praise the Lord for that. But here's the thing. He said, we want to establish you. You want your, your, your faith to be strong. The Bible says a double-minded man is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What happens is if you're not grounded in your faith, you're going to easily buy a lie. Why are there so many cults that are successful? Because they have a grain of truth but they lead people away with a lie. They'll use the same terminology. The only way you're gonna know the counterfeit is if you know the real. You know when they trade, I don't know if it's still true, but it used to be when they trained uh, bank, uh, bank tellers, they would have them just touch real money. And they would get to know real money. And they never had them look at counterfeits. Because they knew that if they just knew real money and they touched the counter, oh, that's not real. They, they would touch it, they would look at it. Guys, if you know the word of God, the enemy will not fool you. Can I get an amen? If you know the truth of God's word, if, this, if the word of God is founded and grounded in your heart, it needs to be established within us. Give them the meat of God's word. I remember I was in Santa Cruz and I pastored a church there for 10 years. It had grown quite a bit. And another guy who had a larger church in town took me to lunch. And he was the new pastor there. And he said to me, you know, well, the, the last pastor only taught topical messages. I said, yeah, I know. And, you know, you know three, three ways to overcome your anger, and Beaver doesn't live anymore in the series, and seven steps to financial freedom, and whatever. And he said, and my church just won't stand for what you do, Dave. I listen to you on the radio. You just teach through the Bible. They won't stand for it. And he said, so what do you think Santa Cruz needs more than anything else? Have you met me? Um, here's the reality. They need the word of God. Can I get an amen? And he said, well, they won't stand for it. I said, you know what? They've been drinking milk their whole lives. You wheel out a steak and see if they don't like that better. Can I get an amen? When, when someone's been fed pablum their whole life, and they only get the feel-good messages, and they skip over the difficult stuff in Scripture, when you are bold enough to open up the Word of God and proclaim the truth, do it in love, but do it with boldness, I promise you, they're never going to want to go back to milk ever again. Amen? You've been holding out on us. And so here's what he's doing. He said, I'm gonna, he's going to come and establish them by giving them the whole counsel of God, by teaching them the word of God, by not watering down the message. It's happening today. People will never tell you you're a sinner because they're afraid you won't come back. Love you all. You're all sinners. Can I get an amen? We're all sinners, me included. I'm chief of sinners, as Paul said. We're sinners in need, desperate need of a savior. I'm not going to blow smoke at you and tell you how amazing you are. You're not so amazing apart from the Lord. Can I get an Amen. Now, we're amazing in him, we're holy in him, but apart from him, we're wicked and perverse above all things. And he's saying, look, Timothy, go back, and you establish them, but also encourage them. So not only do we build you up with the word of God, but we want to encourage you. The word encourage there is parakleo, where we get the word parakletus, who speaks of whom? Who's that? Holy Spirit. So he says, look, he's going to establish you in the word, and he's going to encourage you or comfort you and who's that? The comforter, the Holy Spirit. So how do you have a strong walk with God? You be a man or a woman of the word of God who walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? There it is. Because guys, we cannot live holy lives apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. We will not be effective in sharing our faith apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot have joy in the midst of our circumstances, again, unless we have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace. Amen? 
That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. How can I have joy today? My wife said to me on, the, on our drive over here, we, 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 you know, we had a little, almost a disagreement. We were just like, babe, say, babe, should we just go to Santa Cruz and try to see what we can do? How can we go do church? Because the Holy Spirit is with us. Can I get an amen to that? Because God is in control, and God's got my son, and we'll, he'll take care of it. But you know what? God is faithful. He sent him to build them up in the faith, to comfort them, to admonish them, to exhort them. Why? Because they were surrounded by people who were persecuting them. Guys, we're going to find out what the church in America is really like if we ever get to this level of persecution. It's Again, it's easy to be on the cruise ship to heaven and say you love Jesus, and it's another thing to stand for God when it's going to cost you something. Not all are called to build up, to comfort, and admonish each other. But notice the, the gifts of Timothy's character. Notice what he says of Timothy. First he says, our brother. That means he's a Christian man. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. No one save counselor, mentor, etc. I don't need a dead mentor. I need the risen and living Savior. Can I get an amen? And so Timothy can, now again, I'm going to step on people's toes. Sorry, you know I love you. Can I get an amen? You do not need counsel from someone who's not saved. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Would you go down to the morgue and pull out a drawer and ask for counsel? Because the Bible says they're spiritually dead. Now, we love them. We want to see them saved. But the Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So the first thing about Timothy, who he's sending, is he says he's our brother. That means he's a believer. Notice next it says there, minister of God. The word, the word in the Greek is a servant. So he's sending a man who is, who's a man of God, but he's also a servant. The word pastor means servant. It means under rower. Too many churches, you have pastors who are elevated to celebrity status, and there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we don't worship men, and we don't elevate men. We elevate Christ, and anybody, any pastor worth his salt recognizes he's just the chief uh, servant in the whole building. Amen? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. So he's a minister of God. He sought to serve, not to be served. Timothy was not afraid to work. He was ministering to others, and it requires love and patience to do so. When someone's truly called, you can't stop them. It's amazing how that works. When someone's really called, if, if someone's, I never have to call Pastor Tim and make sure they're ready for worship on Sunday. I don't ever have to do that, because he's called to do that. Amen? I don't, I don't, ever, I don't call Doug and Ashley to make sure the children's ministry is covered, because I know it's going to be. You know, when someone's called to do something, then I know that they're going to do it as unto the Lord. Amen? And he knows that Timothy is called, and he's sending Timothy, and he knows he's going to encourage them. He's going to exhort them. He's going to be the one who builds them up in the relationship with the Lord. The Thessalonian believers were going through a difficult time, and they needed somebody to come alongside and encourage them. And then finally he says of Timothy, he calls him his fellow laborer. And again, he's a team player. He sought not position or power or authority, would go wherever and wherever, whenever and wherever he was needed. And again, his life belonged to the Lord and not to himself. Again, he didn't arrange ministry around his life. He arranged his life around ministry. And these believers in the midst of difficulty needed a man like Timothy to come and encourage them. And this is a great example for us, a fellow laborer. If these new believers were going to be able to stand fast in the face of opposition, uh, would need to allow Timothy to stand with them and not try to do it on their own. Guys, we all need 
other believers to encourage us. We all need other people we can study the word with. We all need people that have gifts we don't have to minister to us and for us to take the gifts we have to minister to them. Our God is a faithful God. So point number one there, standing fast in the midst of suffering by letting others stand with you. Point number two, recognize it as a divine appointment. The trials you're going through are divine appointments. Look at verse three. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. So the fact that you're facing persecution, the fact that you're going through difficulty, the fact that there's false teachers coming in and all these distractions around you, this is an appointment that you knew was coming. And if you didn't know, you should. So guys, if you're facing persecution for the world or opposition for our faith, which we are right now in our country, but nowhere near as much as they were, we should know that's an appointment that God created. He knew it was coming. So when you stand for the Lord, you should not be shaken by these afflictions because you know that, again, it was an appointment God brought into our lives. The word shaken there in the Greek, it literally means to wag as a dog moves his tail. If they were established and encouraged, they wouldn't be easily shaken. Without a good understanding of the truth concerning the place of suffering in the life of the believer, our faith is easily shaken. Here's one of the things, I've been a pastor for 32 years, and here's one of the questions I get most often, and I get it, and I'm not, I'm not speaking against you if you've had this phone call to me or to any other pastor out there. We've all thought it, but here's, here, here's what it is. If God loved me, why would he let this happen? If God loved me, why in the world did he let this happen? This isn't fair. You know what's not fair? The creator of the universe coming to earth and suffering and dying in our place so that we might have eternal life. Can I get an amen to that? He who knew no sin becoming sin for us. That's what's not fair. What's fair for us, ready? Hellfire. I I invited someone to church, pastor said fair is hellfire. Fair for us it's eternal separation from God. So here's the good news. What, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? And we have the promise of eternal life. And here's what happens, though. We think because we're Christians, and we get taught this sometimes on Christian television, and I use that term loosely, that if you're a Christian, you're, you're going to be on a cruise ship to heaven. You're never going to have a trial in your life. And if you have real faith, you'll never get sick. That's the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard in my life, because read the Bible. The Apostle Paul, did he have some faith? What do you think? Day and night in the deep, beaten off in scourges. And you know what? He had a thorn in his flesh. He prayed and the Lord didn't remove it because sometimes that thing that God allows to come in us is for, to, to mold us more to the image of the Savior. And guys, if it's doing that, it's worth it, whatever it is. Can I get an amen to that? So we need to take the focus off of our comfort and put it back on God's glory and him molding us more into the image of our Savior. And so if that trial is gonna do it, then count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And he's letting them know, yes, difficulty's coming, but don't be shaken by it because God knew it was coming. And even if the devil is the one who tempts you, even if he is the one that brings the, the consequences into your life, just know it had to get through God's hand first. Can I get an amen to that? So if it has to go through the Lord to get to me, ask Job, amen. If it has to go through the Lord to get to me, to get to you, then God is gonna use it. No suffering is wasted. And he's going to encourage them that again, the as you know, don't, don't, don't watch the tale. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't be shaken by the things of the world. For you yourselves know all the trials and tests, uh, and tests that come into the lives of Christians are not accidents, they're appointments. They're not accidents. They're not divine accidents. 
their divine appointments. We got a lot of people in this room dealing with health issues. Myself, I've had a parasite since 1993. It's no fun. Guess what? God's in control. Can I get an amen? Keeps me in a place of being humble. And a lot of you in this room are going through 10 times worse than what I ever thought about. And you know what? The Lord loves you. He's faithful. He's with you in the midst of this trial. He wants to encourage you and comfort you. And he will use your suffering for his glory if you will let him. Can I get an amen? He's a faithful God. It says in Philippians 1, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly, with exceeding joy. So for Christians, this is not a feel-good message. You probably you won't hear this on most Christian television stations, but when you give your life to Jesus, we join in the fellowship of his suffering. We're appointed unto suffering. It's a significant part of what makes us grow. Everyone used mightily in the Bible suffered greatly. And I challenge you to find anybody where that's not true. Used mightily, suffered greatly. But again, when we think of suffering, they suffered greatly in that which is temporary to have a huge impact on that which is eternal. Is that a fair trade? Can I get an amen to that? It's temporary suffering that will reveal a greater eternal weight of glory. Again, it's not divine punishment, though some, some of the things you go through are. You know, if you, if you smoke six packs a day, you know, for 10 years or for 20 years and you get lung cancer, that's the sin consequence. Can I get an amen? But if you're somebody, Pastor Chuck, uh, Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel Movement, died of lung cancer, never smoked anything in his life. That was a trial. Can I get an amen? There's a difference. So there are divine consequences, but there also are divine appointments. And again, it's something God allows to mold us more into the image of our Savior and for God to be glory, glorified. And again, some believe that Christians shouldn't suffer and that God wants to teach us all only by his and again, it is true that a great deal of suffering we could be spared from by simply obeying God's word, and God wants to spare us from that, but nevertheless, it says in Hebrews, suffering was good enough to teach Jesus, therefore it should be good enough to teach us. Amen? Did Jesus suffer? Did anybody suffer more than Jesus? What's the answer? Nobody. And even when he was tempted, how did he respond to every temptation? Word of God. And guys, that's how we need to respond. See, when we're going through suffering, the enemy wants to tell you God doesn't love you anymore. He doesn't care about you. If he loved you, he wouldn't let this happen. This isn't fair. And our response needs to be, the Lord loves me so much, he'd rather die than live without me. He's not surprised by this. He's gonna use it for his glory, and I trust him. Can I get an amen to that? John Stott said this, I love this. He said, today the church is not persecuted so much as ignored. Its revolutionary message has been reduced to a toothless creed for suburbanites. Nobody opposes it any longer because there's nothing to oppose. Ouch. Nobody stands up against the Christian church anymore because the Christian church, a lot of it, doesn't stand for anything. If we don't stand up for God, there's nothing to stand against. Let me just say this. If you've never been persecuted, you need to start living a little more out loud for Jesus. Can I get an Amen. Because guys, it's when we stand up for the Lord that we face opposition. If you're an undercover Christian, if you're keeping your faith to yourself, you won't face persecution, and you'll have no impact on eternity. Amen? 
Man, I didn't get a lot of amens on that one, but amen. They knew suffering was coming. Paul taught them about it during their brief visit. Affliction, again, is a source of, source of growth, not punishment. Count all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 4. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So again, I, I know I'm belaboring this a little bit, but affliction is a part of the Christian walk. It says in 2 Timothy, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, a manner of life, purpose, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which come to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystrum, the persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me, yea, and that all will live godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution. Without a test, there's no testimony. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Now, what I want to say about this is, oh, I'll give my life to the Lord, I, get, I got a black robe and a wheelbarrow full of rules and a bunch of suffering until I die. No, we, we are the most joyous people on the planet. Can I get an amen to that? We have joy in the Lord. He came that we might have life and life more abundant. But do you know that you can have an abundant life and in the midst of it go through great trials? And praise God for it though. Because you know what? Don't let the suffering and the trials get you off track for what God has called you and gifted you to do. Can I get an amen? I'm thinking, in 1993, when I got that, uh, or 92, whenever it was, when I got the parasite, I passed blood all the time, and a lot of times it's very, very painful, and I had people tell me, you just need to rest, and you know, you can't be pastoring and doing all this while you're doing it. I'm glad I didn't listen to those people, because 28 years later, it's still there. But you know what? God is still on the throne. Can I get an amen? And on our weakness, his strength is made perfect. When, when we are in a place where we're going through difficulty, it keeps our eyes and our focus off of ourselves and keeps our eyes and focus on the Lord. The good news is with any given, uh, God-given affliction or persecution, God equips us to get through it. If he sends us a stony... I love this quote. Um, what's her name? Uh, Corey Ten Boom said this. How many of you guys know who Corey Ten Boom is? The hiding place, right? She hid Jews and she was put in a concentration camp, and she ended up dying there. Well, her sister died there, and she escaped. But she said this, if God sends us stony paths, he provides us strong shoes. I like that. Can I get an amen? If, when we're, if God knows we're going to be going through this difficult path, he's going to give us the strength to get through it, and it's going to be an opportunity, again, for us to grow spiritually and God to be glorified. The word suffer, uh, tribulation there, means to press, afflict, or distress. It's, it's like pressing grapes. You know when they stomp on the grapes to make grape juice or wine? You know, it, they're, they're being pressed on. They're being crushed. And that's what the word affliction means. That we're going to have times where we're being crushed, where the, the weight is upon us. But the good news is, our God is greater. Tribulation, tribulation and affliction not only tests our faith, but it reveals it. How do you know what's inside you know, when you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice, amen? And when you squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Christ-likeness. Can I get an amen? 
When we get squeezed, when we're going through difficulty, when things aren't working out our way, when we lost a job, when something's happening with our health, when there's a financial difficulty, when you've got a son who's struggling with drugs, whatever that thing is that you're going through in life, when you get squeezed, do you, do you make, get mad at God? Are you angry with him? Do you stop going to church? Do you s- cease to be in fellowship because you'll show God? Or do you run, with, run to him with open arms and thank him that you're not alone in the midst of this and that he is a faithful God? And you know what? And you continue to praise him no matter what. What? Can I get an amen? It was some time back, uh, I had one of my sons, we, we had, this battle's been going on for almost 15 years in our family off and on. Uh, two of them are doing amazing. But one of them had overdosed when I was on a sales, awards, a sales trip. I had to go tell my boss that one of my son's overdose had been taken to the hospital and I had to tell him at this meeting in Dallas. And so I shared with him, he was my new boss, didn't know anything about you know, what was going on. And And the bottom line is, to God be all the glory. Please, I don't want you to take this wrong. But about three months later, he came to me and he said, you know what, Dave, I'm going back to church. And I said, well, praise God, I'm glad to hear that. And he said, do you know one of the reasons why? Your son almost died and your faith did not waver one bit. How's that possible? And I said, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do anything, amen? He gets all the glory. I can't do anything apart from him. I get in the way. Guys, people are watching when you're suffering. People are watching when those trials are going on in your life. And that is, that's when your Christianity speaks louder than any other time. Is when you're going through those trials and people recognize it. And oh yeah, they love Jesus. They see how they do now. Oh, you lost your job. You've been diagnosed with cancer. Your kids are going sideways. Let's see how you do now. And when you continue to keep your eyes on the Lord and you continue to praise him no matter what, you know what, that glorifies God and it becomes a testimony to everybody around you that your faith is real. Can I get an amen? That the relationship we have with God is not some convenient thing we do an hour every week, but it's who we are in him. Verse five. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith lest by some means the tempter has tempted you and our labor might be in vain. I couldn't endure it anymore. Paul could barely endure the thought of the faith of the Thessalonians might crumble under the season of affliction, so he sent Timothy to find out. Paul recognized that there is a tempter who's out there. You know what I feel like? I I got this from Rob McCoy, Calvary God Speak. He said, come into church, is like jets landing on an aircraft carrier, getting refueled, and then you fly back out. And you know what? We come here and we get encouraged. We spend time in God's presence. We're fed by the word of God. And then we get to go right back out into our mission field. Can I get an amen to that? As soon as you walk out of here, walking into the mission field, and here's where the battle begins. Here's where the opportunities to share the gospel starts taking place. And guys, we need to come here to be fed and refueled. And we need to be doing that every morning with morning devotions and spending time in the word of God. But guys, you come here to get equipped for the work of the ministry, amen? Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Not just to come and hear a message and go and live our lives like nothing has changed because temptation's coming. How many guys are tempted this week? How many guys have been tempted in the last half hour to was this guy just shut up so I can go eat? <laughs> we get tempted, amen? But you know what I love the Word of God tells us? Where does temptation come from? Satan. You know the Lord never tempts you? That's biblical. So temptation comes from Satan. 
The Bible tells us is with temptation, the Lord always makes a way of escape. Can I get an amen? How many of you, you know when you're being tempted and you see the way of escape? Raise your hand. God will put stop signs up and you know it. And I believe every time I sin, I run through five stop signs to do it. Can I get an amen to that? I don't fall into sin, I run into it, amen? And I sin every day and God forgive me and I, I, it breaks my heart. And the one thing about spiritual maturity is the amount of time between when you sin and when you repent gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You know, when you get saved, it, maybe it's monthly, and then it's weekly, and then it's daily, and then it's hourly, and then it's by minute. And now I'm saying something I shouldn't say, and the Holy Spirit is already giving me the Holy Spirit head slap. Can I get an amen? That's what I, you know, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. I used to have hair back there, and then, you know, conviction. But the reality is, see, when we are tempted, and Satan is a tempter, but greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. Amen? And with temptation, there will be a way of escape. And praise God for that. We need to learn to take it. So, our la- he says that our labor may not be in vain. If the Thessalon- Thessalonians did waver in their faith, Paul would consider his work among them to have been in vain. You know, if I didn't, if, if there's no fruit of the ministry that was there, then we've labored in vain. And the most important thing that we want to see in our lives is lives that are fruitful. Amen. Lives that bear fruit, lives that reflect Jesus Christ. And praise God for that. Point number three, we probably won't get through this whole chapter, so don't panic. Matter of fact, we won't get through the whole chapter. Let's look at this last point, verses six through eight. Know that it will be a testimony to others. When you're going through suffering, know that it will be a testimony to others. Look at verse six. But now, now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, we also to see you. Acts 18, Timothy met Paul in Corinth and gave him good news of the Thessalonian church, brought good news of their faith and their love, and Timothy reported back to Paul that new believers hadn't wavered in the face of persecution, and Paul's labor was not in vain. God's word had been implanted in their heart, They'd been empowered by the Holy Spirit. It had given them strength to stand firm in the face of opposition. And it's the knowledge of the truth that keeps us from falling for the lie. Here's what's interesting. I've done, I don't know how many memorial services. It's well over 100. And I've never done one where all the family didn't think the person was saved. And I kind of get that because once they were gone, you, that's kind of your hope. And my heart is not to dash that hope, but to preach. I, I don't want to judge the dead person, but preach to those who are still here. Can I get an amen to that? I want to share with them the gospel and the hope that lies within us. But here's the sad part. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that their lives have never borne any fruit, and they're not really saved. Now, it's not my do- job to judge that. That's up to the Lord. But I would never want to stand before Almighty God living a life where all I did was I may have prayed a prayer or walked in. Because here's what people will tell me why they know someone's a Christian. Though somebody 70 years old who, you know, was married six times and was abusive to their family and struggled with drugs and alcohol, and their life is a train wreck. We go, yeah, but when he was six years old, he went to a, he went to a uh, vacation Bible school and raised his hand, so he's in heaven. Okay, well, we can hope that, but guess what? By your fruit, they shall know you. And what's exciting is the message comes back from Timothy to Paul. They're bearing fruitful lives. They're walking in boldness for the Lord. Their faith hasn't wavered. They're standing for the things of God. I'll tell you, very few things just 
bring tears to my eyes more than when I see kids who were in my youth group and now they're on fire for God. A lot of them are pastoring churches and I look at that and it just grips your heart to see that God took the word of God and transformed these people's lives. To see my son-in-law, you know, I watch his messages every week and to see my son-in-law preaching the gospel. He got saved on a Sunday morning sitting in the front row. He came into church after he graduated from high school, drugged by his brother, hung over on alcohol, didn't want any part of it, gave his life to the Lord, a year and a half later, married my daughter. He's, the greatest, he's one of the most godly men I've ever met. He got saved real good. Can I get an amen? And it's good to see that the word of God does not return void. Amen? That's, that, and again, I, don't put your faith in just walking an aisle and praying a prayer. Again, by your fruit they shall know you. So how do we do this? It says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Here's four words in that verse. Doctrine, what is right? Doctrine just means biblical truth. So do we believe in biblical doctrine? Of course we do. It's biblical truth. Doctrine, what is right? Reproof, correcting what is not right. Correction, how to get right. And instruction, how to stay right. Amen? So the word of God is good to show us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. Amen? And that's what they've been given for three weeks. And they're still walking firmly and strongly for the Lord. Some of us have been hearing the word of God for 30 years. And maybe we haven't grown much. Guys, We've got to go beyond being uh, spiritual babies, just feeding on the milk of the word and, you know, just putting the get out of hell free card in our wallet and going out living like the world. God's called us to be different than the world. They had faith, that's fruit of the word, and they had love, which is fruit of the Holy Spirit. They have good remembrance of us desiring to see us. And again, they've been delivered from it. Last two verses, verse seven and eight. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. They were struggling in their, if you're struggling in your walk, you need more time in the word, because these who are standing in the word of God, they're steadfast in their walk with the Lord. In all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Paul's in a, a, a distressful situation. Satan's hindering him from going back. But Paul and his companions, through the midst of affliction and suffering themselves, were strengthened by the faithful actions of the Thessalonians. When you hear that someone else is doing well spiritually, doesn't it bless you? Aren't you excited when you see God doing a work even in someone else's life? Doesn't that encourage you? Can I get an amen to that? And so we want to, when God's doing a work, when we see God, I've been, I've been hearing that all kinds of people are getting saved in Iran. And I've seen multiple, and I pray that it's absolutely true. And you know what brought me to tears? Can I get an amen? We want to see other people's lives being transformed. Guys, this book isn't about us, it's about him. And because it's about him, it can transform us. And we want to read it so we can become more like him. Amen? And it's a blessing when you see people walking in the Lord. See, Paul, his joy was not based on circumstances, but in the believers in Thessalonica were standing strong in the faith, like a spiritual father. It says, I, you know, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. There's nothing I want more than for my kids and grandkids to love Jesus and to walk in, in an intimate relationship with him. That's why it's so heartbreaking when they don't. Last verse there, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For now we live means they have received inspiration to press on in their own sufferings because they see that the suffering they endured in the past 
produced fruit. I was a youth pastor for several years where I had four kids in my youth group. And then it started growing. But you go every week, and it was four girls. And then it was five girls. And then it was seven girls. And, and four of them were sisters. So if they went out of town, it was kind of lonely at youth group. But I would study for 25 hours to teach four girls who probably didn't want to be there. And you just, you know, and you do it because you know you're called to do it. And the youth group grew and grew, and God blessed it, and a lot of people got saved. But in those early years, you wondered, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm driving 72 miles each way to work. I come home, I stay up all night, two nights a week to study, and I come and share with these four or five kids. Is it making a difference? You know what's a blessing to me? Every one of those girls are my friends on Facebook. Every one of those girls are walking with the Lord, many of them on fire for God. And you know what? It was all worth it. Can I get an amen? And guys, we need to be faithful whether they get saved or not, that's up to God, not to us. But it is a blessing to see people that were in your youth group or ki- people that attended the church, you know, or in your Sunday school class. I'll tell you one of the people I'm going to hug when I get to heaven. You guys all know this. I got saved in 1968 at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class. My dad was the pastor of the church. I was four and a half years old. And I'm telling you, and people always doubt me, I remember it. Because she did the flannel board message, she did the whole cross and the resurrection, and then she said, told about sin and said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand. I raised my hand. And she, I remember sitting in the little chairs, and she prayed with me, and she gave me a little white Bible. And I went home that afternoon, my dad was the pastor, he was painting our garage yellow. I still remember it. And I went and told him, hey dad, guess what? He goes, what son? I gave my life to Jesus today. I've been born again. And my dad said, he, when he tells the story, he's like, oh son, that's great, he's four. You know what I mean? But he said, son, you never wavered from it. And you know what? I can't wait to hug Mrs. Green's neck. Can I get an amen? Guys, when we serve in ministry, we have no idea how fruitful it's going to be. We won't even know until we get to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? We had a six-minute video. Let me just finish the chapter. Can I get an amen? If you say no to it, I'm like, what, am I going to be a heathen and say no? I can't do that. Look at the last point here. I'm just going to read these quickly. Here's what it says. The last point here is knowing that through your suffering, you grow closer to the Lord and more focused on eternity. Because otherwise, I'm going to be left in jail trying to add this to the next chapter. So it says, for, thanks, for what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we, see, we may see your face and perfect, and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Notice that when Paul is investing in somebody's life, even when he's far away from them, he continues to pray for them. Can I encourage you, any ministry that you have in your life, I don't care what it is, if you're serving in children's ministry, if you're in the helps ministry, if you've got a Bible study at work, whatever it is, I want to encourage you that whoever you're ministering to, start praying for them by name. Can I get an amen to that? I go through our church directory and I pray for everybody by name every week. And I've written names in the back of it for the ones who weren't in it. So when we take pictures again, get your picture taken if you want to get prayed for. Can I get an amen? But you know what? When you pray for people, it knits your heart to theirs. And so Paul prayed for them. We're going to see here. Let me give you the three points of things he prayed for them. Notice he says there, first of all, that the suffering would uh, perfect their faith. Lord, I pray the suffering they're going through, they would use it for your glory to perfect their faith. Then secondly, he says there that through suffering, their love might abound. Look at verse 11 and 12. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another 
to all just as we do to you. So he prayed that through their suffering that their faith would grow. Then he prayed that they would grow in love for the Lord and for each other. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Can I get an amen? We should be the most loving people on the planet. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to hug everybody right now, and I sneak a few in here and there, but when they put, I'm the hugging pastor. Can I get an amen? I hug everybody. Why? Because if Jesus was here, he'd hug you. And we're family. Can I get an amen to that? And so, and so he said, I want you to grow in, in faith. I want you to grow in love. And then finally, he says there, you know, that they would purify their hope. Look at verse uh, 12 and 13. Verse 13, excuse me. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So he prayed that they, were, that they would be perfected in their faith. He prayed that they would uh, grow in love and, and their love would abound. But he also prayed that they would have purity and hope. See, the closer we get to the Lord, the more we want to walk in the center of his will and the more excited we are about the fact that he's coming back. Can I get an amen? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Maranatha. Come quickly. Today works for me. Some of you are like, well, I got stuff I want to do. When we get to heaven, no one's going to be bummed that we got to heaven. Can I get an amen? Heaven is better. Amen? It's way better. God is greater and heaven is better. When we get to heaven, we are going to be blown away. And when we see God for who he is, we're going to say, if I'd known you were this great God, I would have prayed more. Amen? Heaven is better. Heaven is our home. We're aliens here. We need to have an eternal focus and live lives that will impact eternity. When this time, again, has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And it's prayer for them that they would grow in holiness, but also grow in anticipation of Jesus Christ coming back. So, standing fast in the midst of suffering, by allowing others to stand with you. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. By recognizing your suffering and trials are divine appointments, not divine punishments. So if you're going through a trial right now, and if you're not, by the way, if you're either in a trial, you're getting ready to be in a trial, or you're going to be coming out of a trial, because trials are coming. Can I get an amen? So as you're in trials, recognize, how does God want to use this? How does he want to use, not why God did you let this happen, but how God do you want to use, when I spent nine months in the hospital in 2009, the question was never why God, it was what God. What do you want to teach me? And how do you want to use this? Amen? And then thirdly, knowing that as people see God's faithfulness in the midst of your suffering, they will be blessed, strengthened, and encouraged. So your suffering will be used by God to minister to others. And then finally, knowing that your suffering, you go closer to God and more focused on eternity. Guys, if our heart, above all else, is to be closer to God, and we know that we are brought closer to God through suffering, then we can rejoice in our suffering. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for everyone's patience today. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And Lord, I know many in this room are suffering. I know people that have had long-term illnesses. I know others that are dealing with uh, very difficult diseases right now. I know people that are struggling in their marriages, people who's uh, got situations with their kids like me. But Lord, we know that you're a faithful God and you're in control and we trust you. And Lord, we cry out to you that, Lord, help us in the midst of our suffering, not to run to you, but to run from you, to, to surround ourselves with others, believers who can hold up our hands and encourage us in the most holy faith, to recognize it's an opportunity to reflect you to a lost and a dying world, and to know, Lord, it'll help us to grow in holiness 
in anticipation of your soon return. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We can't imagine living this life without you. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray, and all God's people said...